Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. I'm James, and I'm joined by returning guest Lee Gaddis. How are you today? I am so excited to be on your show. I uh, I can't tell you how I enjoy uh, your podcast and how important what you do is to the gaming community to keep us all connected and knitted together and informed. Well, the reason I wanted you back on is because... Uh... You have a Kickstarter out there, Curtain mm-hmm. of Iron. And I have to admit, you know, I like Kickstarters and I keep having you on because uh, there's three companies I really follow. You at Gaddis Gaming, Enemy Spotted, Enemy Spotted Studios, and mm-hmm. Echelon Software. All small American companies making stuff locally and like true gaming fans. But you have a Kickstarter coming out. Uh, and it's Vietnam War, something I thought about, but you take a different take on it. Why don't you run through what your uh, Kickstarter is? Yeah, so as you know, our, our first three products were, our first product was Shattered Crown, which was dedicated to the Harlem Hellfighters, who in 100 years of, uh, of wargaming, we have never had a game dedicated to them. So I put my first product out, Shattered Crown, which was Weird World War One. And that seemed to have started a little bit of a trend. Now people are catch, picking up on it. But that was dedicated to the Harlem Hellfighters. Our second game was uh, Empire's Fall. Of course, following World War One, you have World War Two, And uh, and that was dedicated to my grandfather's unit, the 761st Tank Battalion. And then we moved into uh, the Cold War era. So 1950s plus, people are like, why did you do Korea? Well, in our universe... I was going to the same team, thing. Yeah, in the Guards universe... Korea is just late World War II. It's World War II extended. Because if you you look at all the vehicles that they used in Korea, they were all stuff that was late World War II. So anything that was available in 1945, they used in 1950. So you had Shermans, you had Pattons, you had Pershings, you had T-34, you had T-3045s, you you know, and, you know, so we could, you could game any of that. And um, I even have a scenario book coming out called Red Star, White Star, Whereas what if Patton had uh, went into uh, the Soviet Union right after World War II? So the German forces would have been divided up between East and West. We would have got uh, some of their technology, moved it forward, and the war would have continued for uh, without the dropping of the, new, of the atomic bomb uh, for another two years. So that would have took us into 48, 49. Um, and Japan would have continued to fight on because our our forces would have been um uh uh would have been stretched trying to take over asia so that's a scenario book we're working on um and so i wanted to do a cold war era so cold war is from 1950 all the way up into 1990 so that's a lot of technology happened during that time a lot of new things happened so the biggest thing that happened for us uh, in the early Cold War was Vietnam, right? So, but we want, as you know, as we are prone to do, we're going to do a weird war. So we did um, Vietnam with laser tanks, right? <laughs> we take the technology that was left over from Empire's Fall um, and continued that scenario logically uh, into Vietnam. And then our twist on it is that uh, the Battle of Son Dong, which is a free scenario book you can download for free uh, on our blog, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, an engagement between, uh, a Viet Cong force and a U.S. Army force, and they run into, um, a village, 
uh, and the village, the villagers run to a temple for protection and pray for help. But what they don't know is that they're praying to the elder gods. So the, so a lot of um, deep ones come and, and a lot of the um, Cthulhu's mythos creatures come to protect them from both the Viet Cong and, and the uh, allied forces. So that's how we do our twist on Vietnam. Throw some laser tanks in there and you have all the Gaddis gaming goodness you can ask for. The Kickstarter was really to judge the interest of uh, our play groups, right? Of our, our fans and our followers uh, to see what the, what the temperature of the water was for Vietnam. I know there's not very many people left over from World War II to worry about, but we do have people that play in our groups that are actually Vietnam vets. And so we wanted to be sensitive to that. Um, and, uh, it, you know, so we, you know, we, we did the Kickstarter release as a way to market engage what that temperature was in the gaming community to consume it. And it seems like the, a lot of people uh, were into it. So it's a really big hit at the conventions that we go to. Um, the Kickstarter was successful right away. You know, we, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, a lot of people went all in. So uh, we are happy that um, that we were able to do it. And main reason we do Kickstarter is not just for brand awareness and for product awareness, but it's also is to raise enough money to do that last 10%. Normally when we bring a product to uh, to the market, it's 90% done. What we're gonna do now, we're gonna you know uh, clean up some things, pay our artists and um, and then market and promote the product. That's mainly you know uh, what we're doing. So uh, Kickstarter for us becomes a way, another way for us to gauge our community, to gauge what the interest is for any uh, particular product, and to give us a little bit of a cushion to be able to develop the next thing. It's never like a money-making thing for us. It's usually just a way of like, hey, we have this really cool idea. We want to make this vehicle or you know, this faction. Um, you know, let's see if we can uh, front load it for the next one. So whatever the Kickstarter we did last time, it was to pay for... Um, Iron Curtain, uh, A World Divided, and then the next Kickstarter we do, it'll pay for whatever the next thing is uh, that we're doing, and that's how we're using it. And again, that money goes to finish that last little 10% of the project, um, because as you know, as gamers, we tend to to, <laughs> to overextend ourselves, <laughs> like all gamers. So uh, even, even in business, uh, that becomes uh, a thing for us. And so the Kickstarter is a way for us to help uh, put a little financial cushion in there. I know people have said, yeah, go to Patreon, you know, sell STLs and things like that. Um, but that requires more pan man uh, manpower than we have. And I want people to be able to have a physical product in their hands when they sit down at the table and are ready to play. Even if you're just hobbying, if you're just a collector, because we know a lot of people buy our products and don't necessarily go to the game store, but a couple of times a year or play, but a couple of times a year at conventions, and they've come and they've told us this, but they enjoy building and painting and having the army. So that's why we put a lot of detail into the products that we put out and make sure that our, our products are of the highest quality and Kickstarter allows us to do that. Yeah, uh, so I'll admit, I was watching uh, your Kickstarter come out and I wasn't expecting, cause it's called Curtain of Iron. Yeah. And uh, so I saw it was getting close to 24 hours. So I was one of those um, all-in Supreme Commander buys there. Like, this needs yeah. to be funded for 24 hours. Oh, you got, yeah, you got some good stuff coming your way, man. There's so much things. There's so many things we've been working on for this. 
And I know we're really bad at tooting our own horn. We try really hard to. We're not as, I mean, we're not a big company. There's only three of us doing all of this work. So, you know, we, we do what we can. But the miniatures that we make are second to none, as, as you know, because um, you, you supported us in the past. And the products that we put out, you know, we try to make them to the highest quality. Everything is made right here in the USA. So it costs a little bit more. Uh, we've never gone to, to China or overseas to get our products made. Um, so for us, it is, um, um, it, it, you know, it's a way to make sure that, that our jobs stay here. You know, you know, we make it here, we sell it here, you know, um, you know, we're, we're a small independent, you know, company. We're not a, a $2 billion behemoth, like, um, like, uh, uh, games workshop. Mm. Yeah. So I have to admit, looking at Gleaser. Uh, what? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I was looking at what you had there, and um, honestly, it's like I've thought about doing Vietnam before in the past. And when you presented the Cold War, what really sold me was the laser tanks there. The idea of like, because um, you even have an M1A1 with a laser turret that you uh, show there. And it's like, that's what sold me. It's like taking existing Cold War vehicles and putting the laser turret on top. Yeah, so for, for us to be able to do that, for us to be able to do that, um, it's a way that you can play both ways. Um, we can play... Uh, regular, you know, if you want to just play straight historical, you can do that. And if you want to, um, you know, you know how our group likes to do it. We like to play it a little bit weird war. So we give you those options. So by swapping the turrets or making a few modifications um, or having two versions um, of, of a vehicle like we did with, with the T-62s and the T-72s, you know, where you have a sci-fi version of the hull and the turret, and then you have a regular traditional version of the hull and turret that allows people to game the way that they want to game when they want to game, right? So uh, we're not telling you how to play. We're just giving you the toys to play with. Yeah, well, what I liked about it is, um, I think on previous times I had you on before, we've talked about like uh, General James Gavin, Jumpin' Jim. And yeah. he was a big, yeah, after World War II, he became a big proponent of the Pentatonic the Pentomic Division and, you know, destroying the regiments, making these battle groups. But the whole idea to make the division work was like these weapon systems. And it was like these supposed to be these high firepower, high mobility weapon systems. And right. So in the 50s, the idea of a laser tank was like, yeah, it's not ready now, but someday we'll have a laser tank. So I, I looked at like what you were doing with Curtain of Iron of like, what if General Gavin was right? Like they got the weapon systems, you know, because in the last 70 years, the laser tank and the railgun tank have never worked out. But what if they did? But we've been that experimenting my... with them, right? So right now we're using laser, not necessarily tanks, they're APCs and, and, um, and mobile vehicles to take down drones. So they're using high-powered lasers right now in planes and, and, and on ground vehicles to take out drones that would escape our Patriot missile, missile systems. So 
to your idea, what if his conclusion had worked out, right? So the whole world of guards, the whole, that whole universe that we're in is what if, what if this had happened, right? What if this had worked out? What if they followed through on this technology and didn't abandon it, right? You know, from the M6 tank in World War II, where Patton, well, I'd rather have four Shermans than two M2s fitting in a hull, you know, give me more tanks rather than, you know, you know, heavy tanks. And that's why we ended up with so many Shermans and no M6s. But when they came out with the King Tiger and they were just slicing through, or even the Panther, and they were slicing, slicing through um, Shermans, then people were like, hey, we need a heavier tank for our crews to survive. And we ended up um, with the Persian coming online in, in late 44, uh, early 45, um, because we had to answer you know, the King Tigers and the Yag Tigers and, 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 the, and the Panthers uh, that were on the field. So we did the same thing with our Cold War. What if the laser technology they had been working on in the 50s became operable in the 60s? And one of the um, most interesting vehicles that we're working on right now and in working into the game is the Avro flying car. Is the Avro flying car, uh, which was developed, it was a joint pro project by the U.S. and Canada. So for us, you know, being able to put all those cool designs from the 1950s on the field, you know, come on, man, that's, <laughs> that's gaming goodness right there, you know, because there's a lot <laughs> of projects that got abandoned, you know, because they, they didn't put a skirt around it or the, they didn't have um, uh, the, the, the technology to make it small enough and powerful enough to go wasn't there, right? Integrated circuits. Uh, weren't fully developed. I mean, we were still using vacuum tubes for a long time. So we're saying, look, the technology advanced. You know, we got a lot of, you know, breaks that came in, um, anti-gravetics, which were developed in the 1950s. And there's a theory right now that we developed um, uh, anti-gravetic technology and we're just sitting on it because we don't want it to get out into the world because if an enemy were to get it, they could use it against us. So we don't let that technology out. So we're saying, well, because of these wars that are happening, that technology was used, you know, and, but we kept uh, control of it. Right. And so um, they were saying that we have a, a, a space Navy, <laughs> you know, because of anti-gravetic technology. So, and that's something we'll explore, you know, later on. I mean, there's, so, there's such a world of possibilities as you move, further up the timeline uh, from 1918, you know, into 1990, you know, th there's a lot of technological developments. Cause think about it in 1903, there was no such thing as an airplane. And then by 1968, we were putting people on the moon, you know, <laughs> you know, from the Wright brothers to Neil Armstrong, that was one generation. Right. Yeah. So, Right. So think about the quantum leap in technology that happened during that time. So why couldn't 30 or 40 years, what would what would a quantum leap of technology be that's built on, you know, all of the theoretical possibilities that we have? Right. Anti-gravity devices, particle beam devices, railgun devices. Um, and even now, I'm just I've just spent yesterday exploring all the different types of drones that they're using in, in the Ukraine war. And how would that affect the next game that we put out? um, in our cold war series. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I do enjoy the what is because, uh, like the red star, white star you're talking about. I'm sure everyone who's listened to this podcast has probably seen the movie Patton and that mm -hmm. one scene 
where he says, hey, give me these Germans and I'll push to Moscow. Yeah, he like, said, he said, look, we got the army over here right now. Let's go to Moscow because we're going to end up fighting the sun anyway. <laughs> and he was not wrong. <laughs> and it would have been before they got, before they stole our nuclear, uh, our, our nuclear bomb because we ended up, because um, there were spies in the Manhattan Project and we ended up making a hydrogen bomb that wasn't the same type of bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, but I would say we, we delayed dropping the bomb on the Soviets and just went over with the Germans and the allied forces that we had upgraded the nanotechnology. Cause think about what the, what they were making. I mean, the whole E series of tanks, if Hitler wasn't such an idiot and thank God he was, I mean, if they had started the E series production in 1942, they would have had a standardized model the way we had the Sherman for super heavy tanks. So they could have fielded a lot more tanks at a lot higher quality. And, uh, and, and that might have made the difference in, in, in Operation Barbarossa and, and taking over uh, of the Soviet Union. You know, so there's a, so yeah, there's okay. a lot of, yeah, there's a, and history would have played out different. So there's a lot of wiggle room in there, you know. Uh, if we had sat and met with uh, Ho Chi Minh uh, after the French left in uh, um, uh, Vietnam, you know, they never would have turned to communism. You know, all we had to do was had all, he just wanted to have a meeting with Truman to discuss, you know, how to rebuild Vietnam after after the French uh, colonies left, you know, and, and we just refused to meet with him because we didn't think they were important. You know, you know, 10 years later, you know, we we're over there fighting. It, it, it was crazy. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways to play. We explore those uh, with our games. We hope that our our customers appreciate that. And we can have those discussions in the weird war communities um, that we're a part of. Uh, and as gamers, I mean, yeah, you can play a historical battle over and over again. But uh, at some point, you know, you just want to mix it up. You want to add something different. You want to put a little, little bit of spice on it, you know. And, well, that, uh, and, that's, what I, that's what I liked about your reapproach to the Cold War. Because is that what if? Because I think everyone knows Team Yankee is that what if Abel Archer had gone wrong and the Soviets started war there? Um, but there's all those, what, you know, 40 years of a cold war, there's those, what if the Soviets invaded Iran? Sure. Because they always talked about doing that. And, you know, there's a ton of conflicts to explore in like South Asia, the Indo-Pakistan wars, sure. the African wars, the South America uh, civil wars. It was like, just a world of potential. Like, why not throw lasers in the mix? That would be yeah. fun. <laughs> right? Because you could say, okay, what if what, when the French and British decolonized Africa, uh, what if they were able to form governments that were allied with either the Soviet Union or some nations allied with America and the West, you know, and, and you know, were buying weapons? You know, and what would those weapons look like? You know, um, what would what would the 1970s uh, weird war weapons look like based on technologies that we already have? Because some of those vehicles already look funky as can be, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and just a couple of uh, of them and the more fantastical things that people tried and didn't work out. I mean, you could you can you can get into some really fun uh 
gaming that way, even even though it is, um, you know, it, it, it's a historical. We are. Well, and let me ask you just because I was looking at what you have going on with the tanks, and you have Vietnam era tanks, but you also have uh, more modern M1 A1s and some T72s. Is there a plan to push this into like, you know, uh, the Chieftains, the Leopards, um, any of the French vehicles? Correct. So the, the Vietnam War was our jumping off point because we skipped right over Korea because it's just late World War II. You can take all your World War II stuff and add it in with the weird war stuff that we already have. So what we so what I did was I said, well, what would be the most what is the next technological breakpoint? The next technological breaking point would be Vietnam. Then after that, it would be 92 with Desert Storm. Right. So that would be the next. So at the end of this um, a world divided uh, scenario. Then we get into uh, what do they call it? Near near sci-fi, near future sci-fi, right? But for us, it would be moderns, <laughs> you know. And then, yeah. you know, then the, 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 the race is off. You know, then we're off to the races after that, because then you end up with you know drone wars and and like uh tesla's coming out what if we had developed androids in the 1990s early 2000s right remember when all those uh helpful robots came out that were toys yeah yeah that was all technology that that was built on to do it what if we had an ai you know that was a general uh an uh an agi uh, artificial general intelligence you know that was running some country in uh in africa you know, that was modernizing there because you think about it, Africa didn't have to put in the infrastructure that we did with telephone poles and lines like that. They jumped straight to cell phones. Right. So what if they did the same thing with some other technology and, and they leapfrogged us uh, with uh, with with AI technology and they modernized uh, an entire city or, or entire country that way on, on the continent of Africa. Right. What would that what would that look like? What would their technology look like based on that? Right? We've already seen how China yeah. went from not having anything taller than an eight-story building to building skyscrapers in 20 years. You know, it doesn't take long for human beings to uh, once they embrace technology to move forward. I mean, China, Japan went from a feudal society to having a navy that beat Russia uh, in 1908. You know, they were yeah. they were riding horses and having bows and arrows to to battleships. I mean, you know, I mean it doesn't it doesn't take that they didn't long. have to rely on Tom Cruise anymore to yeah. save them because <laughs> you know he was the last samurai. <laughs> but so that's uh you know it's that multiple possibilities and with your models, it's like even if I don't want to follow along that what if. It's like sure. a really cool model. <laughs> exactly. And we understand that there is a community out there that just buys our miniatures to paint and collect. I mean, I meet them at conventions all the time. One guy says he just comes to a store con. He stays up all year long and that's his shopping trip. And he buys six, $700 worth of models and he takes them home and he paints them. And I, every year I ask him, would you please send me pictures when you painted them up? And every year he just buys more. So I don't know if he's just hoarding or whether he's actually building and painting. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be mad at him because I know that I have a pile of shame that I, that I need to get to at some point, too. But, I mean, I'm so busy uh, creating new things and even new genres. I mean, we have um, uh, we're working on a capital ship game right now for, for space combat. 
uh, to augment some of our sci-fi games that'll be coming out in 2024, 2025. Um, and we continue support all of our old products. So new things are coming out for Shattered Crown. If you want to do some weird World War One uh, with, you know, with with FT-17s and St. Germans and Mark IVs. You know, we did the Mark IV with Tesla tanks and the A7V with the uh, death ray on it. You know, so we, we continue to support our already released products, but we also have new stuff in the pipeline. I think we have stuff planned out until 2027, you know, of stuff that we want to release. But again, being a small company with a limited budget and, and a small staff, uh, we only release, you know, maybe one or two products a year and they continue to uh, support our current line of products so that people can continue to play in World War One, World War Two, and in the Cold War era. But by the end of this year, we will have a sci-fi, a straight up sci-fi, like never seen before on the battlefield scenarios because our future, as we know it, as we live it, seems stifled in our world. Our in 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 the guards universe, things move ahead quicker technology is adapted quicker you know so that you can put it on the table and, and play with it well you mentioned historicon uh what's your mm -hmm. convention schedule looking like well it's going to be less this year i think we did eight conventions last year so um we did uh huracan in florida southern front in florida uh we're doing um the uh, Williamsburg muster this year. That's on our, that's our very next show that we're doing. And then after that will be uh historicon. Um, we have uh, several uh, conventions that we're weighing like Adepticon is just super expensive to be in Chicago. So we, uh, so we kind of skip that until our sci-fi stuff comes out because of Warhammer and, uh, and Asmo day and star Wars kind of take over Adepticon. And there's not a lot of historical going on there outside of, um, uh, a warlord um so i want to wait till our sci-fi products get out before we come back so we're probably coming back to adepticon in 2025 and we'll be running demos and 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 different things like that you know but doing doing smaller local shows is something that we've really been enjoying uh people are super friendly um at, at the wargaming conventions and um and i like going south because the weather's a lot better <laughs> because <laughs> in michigan we were doing spartacon in january and i don't you know sometimes my car would be a block of ice sometimes it wouldn't depending on what the weather was but you know being on being loaded up with 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 cargo with supplies and uh and being out on those icy roads is never a, a good time but you know if, if you if you go i'll show up as it as they say you know um but <laughs> but being uh but being able to to do shows further south in uh, in Southern Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia um, in the winter time, I mean, it, it's a big bonus. And again, the people are super friendly. You know, we always have a good time. I've, I've made a lot of great new friends down there. Um, and the gaming is is second to none. I mean, second to none. The guys go all out putting things on the table, um, and uh, and it's really fantastic to see the uh the the breadth and depth of of gaming that goes on i i mean i there we just played um at um siege of augusta we played uh all quiet on the martian front with so many miniatures it, it choked the table it was crazy and then but the year before that a guy had played it uh a uh, uh a weird um 
uh, a type of Martian invasion game, and it was done in 10 millimeter, you know, using his own rules. And that was a lot of fun. I mean, you have everything from, you know, the Baron's War with medieval knights uh, to chariot races to uh, all the way up to, to sci-fi. And that's, that's really good to see. It's really good to see that the community is healthy and growing. It's good to see uh, families there. You know, people coming with their with their tweeners, with their 11, 12, 13 year olds, uh, getting them into the hobby, because those are people that are buying new armies. You know, if you're, you know, 60 or 70 years old, you've been collecting for 30 years. I ain't got much to sell you. But if you're just starting off, <laughs> if you're just starting off, you know, there's a brand new world. And that's why I try to explain to people, you know, we have to get our games out of the basement. Yes, you have a beautiful basement with a gorgeous table. And I know it's convenient with the bar and everything you needed there. But you're not going to expose that that new person that's gaming to anything in your basement. You need to be out at the store putting stuff on the table, you know, inviting people to come play and just being a, a, a hobby hero, right? You know, coming in and in, in introducing new people to the hobby that are looking for something. Because some people, you know, they started off with magic and then they got into X-Wing and before you know it, you know, they're collecting armies and they're, and they're playing, you know, but if they didn't see that tank on the table, they never it never would have uh, attracted them or got their attention. So I think it's up to us you know, as, as gamers to really expose, you know, new people to what's going on because it's such a broad and vast world out there. And, uh, and, and I know the GW wants to make you think that GW is the only product that's out there, but no, we're out there too. We're out there too, doing our thing, doing our part. Would you like to know more? <laughs> well, you know, I, I heard that comment of like, uh, is games workshop, was it Yorkshire war game called, are they the work of the devil? It's like, you know, I, I think of Games Workshop more as the uh, Archangel Michael. They're the ones yeah. that, like, expose everybody. And once yeah. you get tired of changing editions, everyone spills over. So it's like yes. there's this whole ecosystem of games that re relies on GW getting people into the hobby and then disaffecting them from it. Right. So one of the weird World War II games that we did, a guy had his 40K army. It was unpainted. And I said, okay, this is how we're going to do this. You, can, you buy your Americans. Right, we'll set up an American army, take your rhino, paint it olive drab, put a star on it. Take your, so now you have an armored personnel carrier. Take your firstborn space marines, because, you know, he had bought it, and then everything switched over to Primaris, right? And he didn't want to buy Primaris. So I'm like, now paint those green. Now you have uh, U.S. armored heavy infantry. Now take the Terminators. Now you have super heavy infantry, right? These are your elite forces, right? And just mix those right in with your American troopers. Now you have a weird, weird World War II army for allies ready to go. Now let's make up your, um, your uh, Axis forces. So he bought, um, uh, he, he bought uh, Falschemjäger from me. So he had uh, twenty uh, Falschemjäger infantry. I'm like, okay, that's your light infantry. Now go buy. Um, Mark Mundragon, he made uh, the Eisenkern line. I'm like, now buy those armored troopers. They fit in right with the Nazi um, um, uh, aesthetic. I said, now what you do is you paint them gray, you put Vulcan crosses on them, and you know now you have your heavy infantry for your Axis forces. Now get your Tiger tank, your Tiger 2 tank, whatever you want, throw it on the table. Now you have two weird war sci-fi armies ready to go. Go down to your local gaming store, put a little sign up, say looking for players and let the dice roll because he loved playing guards, but he didn't, he, it was hard for him as a new player to wrap his mind around about 
you know, how do I get people into this because I'm so passionate about it and love it. And everybody's playing Warhammer 40K. I'm like, you've mixed in the Warhammer 40K into it and people are going to go, what What are you playing? You know, how do you have World War II troops and um, and uh, and Space Marines? And you can explain to them how it works, you know? And he did it and he had a whole play group of like eight people in like a month playing because they could take whatever models they wanted. I think War Machine Hordes was one of them. A guy did a Soviet unit and he bought Soviets from us uh, late war Soviets and uh, NKVD troops from us. And then he mixed in the, um, the guys from uh, uh, Kador, Kador uh, infantry in as, as his heavy infantry with body armor on, you know, because they were half price, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you know uh, but, but they fit right well, in. They fit you. right in. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, because um, I, I love your design aesthetic that Thank you, you have for a lot of your um, alternate work. Could you actually match a lot of what the period art thought? The <laughs> Thank you. Be? Thank you for noticing. Yes, so we do. My, my thought is, uh, have you, you mentioned like uh, the Martian Wars. So like the 1880s, yeah. the steampunk or, so you're talking about going forward into sci-fi. Have you ever thought about going backwards? Cause I'm thinking of the classic, like Ridley Scott's the only guy to capture what a sniper really looked like in the Napoleonic War with the scope and everything. But it's like, well, could Gaddis Gaming make Ridley Scott's version of the sniper happen? Sure. Yeah, we have, as a matter of fact, just last year we released the um, uh, Korvakovina, the, the top female Soviet sniper team. You know, we just released that as, 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 uh, as a two-man uh, set, and we were giving them away when you bought uh, any products from us. Uh, we would give you, you know, and I'll email, I'll mail you a copy of them. But yeah, uh, you know, the top sniper for the Soviet Union wasn't a man. It, 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 was, it was two women, <laughs> you know, she had over what a, a thousand confirmed kills or something like that. Yeah. And their tank but, ace, one of their, one of their top five tank aces was a female too. Yeah. Well, my thought here is since mm -hmm. you're pushing forward to discuss World War War One too, have you thought about like, Franco-Prussian War or Napoleonic War yeah, with we, that if, um, getting aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, the commitment to that and the interest in it, right? So, what? How many lines of different troops would I have to make for the Franco-Prussian War, right? How you know that that's a very sizable commitment into a genre that is even more niche than World War One. Right. <laughs> so, so what is my, yes, I would love to do it, but what's my return on investment? I think the first time I had you on here, we talked about like the classic Kickstarter trope is you make a line of something super niche and the yeah. person like me going, yeah, but do you have this thing even more niche than that? Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm doing the super niche thing that maybe only a hundred people will like, Right. But then you ask within that niche, can you do something even more specific? Like, right. So it was like for the first like three months of World War II, when the Japanese attacked Midway, the Marines had the Brody helmets on. Right. And a guy keeps asking me, could you make Marines with Brody helmets on? Yes, I could. But are you going to spend the $600 it takes to make that whole line? You know, are you the one person that's asking for this because nobody else is asking for it? Are you going to pay for the development of it? Right. And that's what kind of Kickstarter does. But there's not a lot of people demanding Marines on Midway with Brody helmets. You know, because well, you know, I think 
that isn't that what Warlord does? Because they did their um, when they did redid their ninety second infantry division, or um, they did like the uh, forget the name of their they go for broke. I always forget mm-hmm. the regimental. Yeah, they did the head swap um, guys, right? So they took yeah, the standard the body with metal. Yeah, and you can just head swap them out for whoever you want, right? So you know, but for us, we do complete miniature lines. We do complete factions. So if I did that, it would be. Uh, a 10-man infantry team with rifles. You would have a four-man command team, and you'd have a support weapon of a 30-caliber water-cooled Browning machine gun, right? And then anti-aircraft guns because they were shooting down um, Japanese Zeros and and Kates and Vals. So how many people do you think want that? Well, Well, that's the field of dreams argument. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, well, my pocket is screaming about all the stuff that I built and people didn't come, or as many as I wanted, <laughs> you know. So I have to be realistic because, you know, we have bills to pay. So, you know, so even though I would love to build it and I would do it in a heartbeat, you know, we really have to consider it. Like, even when we made our fins, I was like, you know, there was enough people asking for fins that we were able to make fins and then, you know, be able to promote them and market it and put them out. But there's a lot of finished vehicles that were used that were, you know, that people just don't know about, you know, and, uh, and, and I put them in our, in our mystery boxes. You know, there's a lot of things that we, that we push out to gaze interest. Hopefully people take pictures and then share them on social media, you know, and that's part of our marketing campaign is to get uh, gamers who are building and painting and are good at posting on these different forms. Cause we can't be everywhere all at once. Right. So um, we try to get our, our customers that are buying, playing, and paint, or even just painting our stuff to then put it out. And, and, uh, and, and, and we've got to, you know, we, it's amazing how many people on TikTok like our stuff, but that doesn't translate to like our YouTube or our Instagram or a lot of our other social media. So it's, um, it's just interesting where people are at and then what, what they're interested in and then where we can meet them at to get them the product uh, to, to, to market. You know, we sent out a lot of free product to people, you know, that are painters just to try to get some interest. But, you know, again, them getting around to it depends on whether or not there was a, a new GW release or not. so if i if i can hit people just in between the gw releases i'll be okay but their release schedule has been crazy the last couple of years you know just you know pumping out stuff yeah i mean you got old world you have what the epic you have all of that you know and um and for me i'm already locked in i'm using um uh uh horizon wars as my you know six millimeter scale uh, wargaming uh, rule set, you know, because it's so simple. It's 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 versatile. It's miniature agnostic. So you know, I'm able to throw down my ogre miniatures along with my GZG stuff, you know, and, and get some really s- small stuff in. I mean, I I've been doing this for a while, so I didn't I didn't really feel the need to go in and buy the Warhammer Epic stuff because there were so many there were so many models left over when people abandoned Epic back in the day. You know, if I needed a Lehman Russ, I could have it. You know, and in, in, in that scale, you know, but, uh, but I, I use a lot of, a lot of it for support infantry for when we play battle tech and, and different games like that. So that's not a genre we'll get into, but like, you know, could I do a, a what if Spartan scenario, you know, where it's Spartans and Amazons 
you know, versus, you know, the mythological creatures of the day uh, of, of the Greek and Roman pantheon. Yeah, I, I could do that. You know, that's something that I, I would definitely be be interested in. Right. So for me, uh, playing in those niches is fine, but we're going to go we're going to move forward with our sci fi stuff and then we can go back and revisit it because uh, the gaming tends to go in cycles. You know, and you can go to a convention like Historicon or or Fallen and you can see what those cycles are. Like, what are people playing? What are they into? You know, Team Yankee is still strong. Bolt action is still very, very strong. Um, but people, a lot of people are starting to warm up to the weird war aspects of having those armies. And in order to do that, they have to expand. And we're giving them the toys to play with to, ex to expand their armies. You know, because all you have to do is add, you know, three or four or five miniatures into that collection, whether it's, 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 it's Nazi zombies, whether it's Russian, you know, bear troops, uh, it's werewolves, you know, you can pull from your, from your D and D collection and fill in some gaps there, you know, and it gives you the opportunity as a gamer too, to be creative and to run narrative stories. You can run campaigns like every Halloween we, we run a, um, a, a Wolfenstein game where you have to invade the castle Wolfenstein you know, and the Red Skull is 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 the leader that you have to capture. You know, so you know Captain America's leading the Allied forces, a uh, mix of British and, and American troops. So you know, we do that every every Halloween. That's a perennial game. And then I use my my Star Wars miniatures on May the fourth. You know, we we run a Star Wars game, uh, Attack of the Copy People, and it's and it's a Clone Wars era game using our guards rules, and they're for free download. You know, you you can you can play. Uh, Star Wars, you know, with all types of miniatures that um, that uh, Fantasy Flight and Asthma they hadn't even made yet in the Clone Wars era. You know, I think they really dropped them all in going for a larger scale uh, when they should have went smaller scale. That way, you could get all the, all the vehicles from the Clone Wars on the table because right now you can't get an L an LAAT on the table, right? You can't get a, an ATTE Enforcer Walker on the table because they're too big and in, in, in that in that larger scale that they went with where if they did a smaller scale, you know, you could have, you could have had troops and vehicles and more sales because you would have had full complete armies. Cause I see people printing in 148 scale that L A A T is huge in 148. It's bigger than a Huey helicopter. I think it's freaking gigantic, but you know what it does. If you're at a convention, it works well because you can get a 20 foot table and it becomes the command base, right? You know, I can I can set a juggernaut and L, L, uh, the LAAT uh, out on the table and they look good. And then the rest of the table is just a play area. So there's a lot of things you can do at conventions that you can't do at your local gaming store on a normal four by six. You know, and we try to make our games so that you're able to play in an hour. You know, uh, if, if you know the rules, you know, you want to play a longer game, you just add add more points, add more miniatures. And we have a free army builder. The guards army builder on easy army builder is something that I hope people are utilizing, you know, to create their army list with uh, as they proxy their models in. So you can bring models from anywhere. I mean, our games are miniatures agnostic. We, we, we support a whole range of miniatures and we hope that you enjoy what we're making. But. You know, we're not stopping anybody. You know, it's not like a GW store where you have to come and you can only play with our models type of thing. You know, we want you to have fun. Fun is the goal of all of this. I, I don't know. In the uh, single-person stores that uh, Warhammer runs now, I don't even – you don't really, really play in there anymore. <laughs> no. I mean, the single-person sweatshop? Yeah, right? Yeah. It, it's crazy. Man. I remember back in the day, it would be a nice big store with plenty of room, 
multiple gaming tables, not just one demo table, whatever the hot product is they're trying to sell at the moment. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, well, I, it's to save money. I mean, they're, they're a two, they're not a $2 billion company, $2 billion company for no reason, but, you know, for us, we want to support our local game stores. There won't be a Gaddis Gaming franchise of game stores <laughs> opening up across the country. You know, we want you to support whatever local game store you have. Bring our models, bring our miniatures in. You know, think about it. You can buy an entire force of Gaddis Gaming miniatures for what you would pay for one Blaine, Bane Blade for GW. But GW, <laughs> to your point, you know, becomes the gateway drug, right? You know, that's how everybody gets into it. So, you know, you use a lot of money. Um, uh, or should I say, you, you spend a lot of money collecting GW miniatures uh, when you realize, you know, if you do an apples to apples comparison, Gaddis Gaming is the ch is the least expensive um, gateway into gaming because you can buy your dice, your tokens, your infantry, your support weapons, and your vehicles, and still not and still be under two hundred dollars. You know. And I don't think you can get the Horus Heresy battle box for that, can you? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I think the last time I was walking in the store, it's like I, I picked up a box. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of miniatures. I turned it over. It was $310. I'm like, yeah, ooh, good luck with that, fellas. <laughs> All right. So for us, not only is it you know a way to keep new miniatures on the table for everybody, uh, playing you know, within these genres, it takes time for us to develop stuff. So that's why you don't see a lot of stuff coming out at once, you know, cause we got hit with, uh, with black Friday and then Christmas orders and we were swamped, you know, and then people were going on vacation. So we got the most orders we got since COVID and we had the least amount of people on staff to fill those orders. <laughs> you know, So I was like, yeah, we got to be careful about doing those sales. Um, because <laughs> we're knee deep in it and, and i want to have uh realistic um delivery times right and i really hate amazon because people expect when they order it for it to get there overnight and then realize a lot of the stuff you know we don't carry a lot of inventory except to the convention and a lot of stuff it, it, we don't make it until you order it so it takes us time to make it package it and ship it and when a lot of orders come in at once you know you know we're, we're backlogged um yeah. So, yeah, so, so I see that surge time at the end of the year. Yes, end of the year surge. And, and we try to stay staffed, but you know, you, you never you never know. But we got hit hard this year. We got hit hard. And uh and, and I thank everybody uh for their for their patronage and for their business. Um and, and we try to get stuff out, you know, in a reasonable amount amount of time. Um, but you know, like I said, people are so used to Amazon where they order it and tomorrow it's on their doorstep. <laughs> or sometimes yeah. you order in the morning and it's there that night. I'm like, come on. Like we can't do that unless I'm unless I'm driving over to your house and dropping it off. You know, that's the only way that that's gonna happen. Someone in your neighborhood. Yeah, somebody lives in my neighborhood and you order. Yeah, I can get it to you right away. <laughs> but if it has to be mailed. And it's really weird because um, like there's Scott's, there's two places that are extremely expensive to mail to. One of them is San Francisco, and the other one is that Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona area. There's like a zip code there that it's like almost triple the price to send anything to that zip code. It's really weird. Well, all right. So uh, we're going to wrap up this show here, but 
when this comes out, basically have 24 hours left on Curtain of Iron. Yep. And uh, I'm all in on that one. Um, and then once that closes, will you have like a backer kit so that people can keep buying until release before you put Correct. it in your store? Yeah, 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 yeah. The minute that so how this works is the minute the Kickstarter close, we we go to fulfillment. We get everybody's address. You know, uh, we make sure that everything is is paid for. Once it's once, and then we ship everything out. Once all of our Kickstarter backers get their rewards, then it goes onto our web store, and then the regular general public can then buy it. And then we add, you know, there's stuff you can buy for Curtain Iron right now that's not on the Kickstarter because it, you know, people, you know. Um, bought things at conventions and prototypes it's so weird because we will bring stuff to conventions just to show people this is what we're working on and people offer this ridiculous amount of money to buy it paint it out of the display case and you know me i'm not turning down a dollar so if you want it painted out of the display case it's yours you know but it's going to cost you and people will people will pony up some of these older guys like money's no object when they want something and and and, and god bless them to be able to be financially stable like that uh but uh but yeah so uh so once those things are out in the public and people can buy them, you know, and there's things that we developed that, you know, that are just things that we've always had, you know, those go up on the web store for people to buy, but everything for the entire product line will be up once only once the Kickstarter um, is fulfilled. And then people can go and, and add to their armies when they get their Kickstarter and they go on, I need, you know, another mortar. I need another heavy machine gun team, or I want three tanks, you know, then they can go in and, um, they can go in and uh, to uh, to gaddisgaming.com and, and buy it, uh, you know, to their heart's desire. You know, um, also we appreciate people who who share their their photos with us. You know, if you're painting uh, our, up our stuff, I mean, I know the when the M6 came out for Empire Falls, we had a lot of people buy that and painted them up and sent us the photos, and we shared those on social media because we like to be engaged with the community, like we're engaged with you. Um, talking about the hobby and what's going on because my wife's eyes kind of glaze over when I start telling her about the new products that I'm making. <laughs> She's your number one closer. Yeah, and, and my dog is just really like, looks at me like, really, again? We're going to talk about this again? <laughs> the cats don't seem to mind, though. They don't seem to mind. They're, they're good on that yeah. one. Well, I want to oh, thank you so much for right, having well, me. All right, well, thanks for coming on again, and um, I hope on... I'm hoping to see you at Historicon. I'm going to try to make it over for that one so we can find yeah, please uh, do. a link up there. Yeah, I'd love to run you through all a right. demo and bring bring some friends. We love having you. And thank you so much for all you do for, for, for the hobby and, uh, and and stay safe. And happy I gaming. Too. All right. Thanks. All right, well, thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. And make sure to check out uh, Gaddis Gaming and uh, some of his great games and his new Kickstarter, Curtain of Iron. Still got some time to get in on that. And Curtain of Iron, everybody. a world divided. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>